Hey Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. I'd love to start this episode off by thanking our newest sponsor, Target Test Prep. Target Test Prep, also known as TTP, is a revolutionary GMAT test prep company helping students break long-standing barriers to success on the GMAT. What makes Target Test Prep a leader in GMAT prep, you might ask? Well, TTP's GMAT self-study course combines time-tested teaching methods with cutting-edge technology and innovative learning science to make achieving impressive test scores possible for students of all levels. With TTP's flexible and intuitive online platform, students can study for the GMAT anytime, anywhere, and at their own pace, with a personalized step-by-step study plan tailored to their study goals. The Target Test Prep team is so confident in their student success that they guarantee it with their 110-point score improvement guarantee. Start your five-day full-access trial of the TTP GMAT Quant and Verbal course today for only $1 and see for yourself why the TTP has been the game changer for so many GMAT test takers. I personally have been using the Target Test Prep course to study for my GMAT for the last three months and it has been so helpful. As I said, it really is personalized with your goals in mind and really helps you tackle a test which has so much content and so many different aspects to it. I could not recommend Target Test Prep more and really hope if you're considering an MBA or know anyone that is, you recommend them to Target Test Prep. Hey, Trailblazers. Welcome back to the Business Casual podcast. How's it going? Happy Tuesday. If you're listening to this episode, the day it comes out. I hope you're having a lovely week. If you're new here, welcome to the show. My name is Stacy. I am the co-founder and host of the Business Casual podcast, along with my younger sister, Mariana. Welcome to 2023. I know we've posted an episode this year, but that was actually pre-filmed, including the intro before the holidays. So this is my first real episode I'm filming of the new year, which is so exciting. It's a very special guest and someone who I have wanted to have on the show when we started it, but also just even before the podcast started. She is the dean of my program. And so obviously being in the program the last four years has been someone I've always looked up to and very much respect and have wanted to have a conversation with and learn more about. So I'm so excited that she came on Business Casual. But before we get into the episode, there's something we have to talk about because if you don't follow us on Instagram, you might not have seen, which you should follow us on Instagram. It's a great time. It's at business.casual.podcast. But we announced that we are having our first live event. I'm so excited. It is for International Women's Day. So actually, International Women's Day is March 8th, which is a Wednesday. Our event is actually March 6th. So put it in your calendar. March 6th, it's at the University of Toronto. The address and more information is on our Instagram page as well as our website. So we actually have a separate website for the event. We're hoping to host more events all throughout Canada and, I mean, dreaming big, maybe even one day come to the States and do a few events there. So our events are kind of under this new umbrella of business casual called The Social. So anything event-related is under The Social. It's obviously still business casual, but we wanted to have our events named so they have their own brand within business casual. So Anything event related is under the social, but it's still the same Instagram account, but the website is different. And you can head over to our link tree, which is in our bio, in our Instagram account to learn more. But I hope to see you all there. We have a keynote speaker, a great panel lined up. The theme of this year's International Women's Day is embracing equity. So that will obviously be a key theme throughout the night. We also want it to be super fun. And obviously our name is the Business Casual. So 
We want there to be good vibes, have good music playing, some fun things that I can't exactly say yet because I don't want to spoil it. So we haven't released tickets yet. Tickets will be coming closer to March. Right now we have a waitlist, so you can join the waitlist through our website and be the first to know when we do drop tickets and also just get updates on the event as we continue planning and getting everything organized. If anyone is listening and is interested in being involved in the event in more of a capacity, in a bigger capacity, whether that's through sponsorship or volunteering, feel free to let us know. We are still looking for sponsors or if there's anyone that has a small business that's interested in being involved with the event, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to have a conversation and see if there's a way you can be involved. But if not, we'd love to just see everyone there. There is a capacity limit at the venue. It is a bit of a more intimate venue. So I definitely recommend joining the waitlist as we already have almost 50% of our what our event capacity is on the waitlist. So I do think when tickets come out, they're going to go fast. But yeah, thank you so much for all of your support and everyone listening for making this even possible. I cannot wait to see everyone and meet and chat in person and celebrate International Women's Day because how fitting for Business Casual. Business Casual, International Women's Day, chef's kiss. Other updates that I wanted to give, we're back on TikTok. I have mixed feelings about TikTok. I love TikTok. I love consuming content and I also like making content, but I'm so in my head about it. I will record a video at least 10 times, even though it's probably looks the exact same and is the exact same each time. But we're back on TikTok because a lot of other podcasters we know have had a lot of success with it. So follow us on TikTok. It's definitely more casual and fun content on there. Also, if my audio sounds weird, I really hope it doesn't. But unfortunately, my mic did die. Not really sure what happened. It was working fine before Christmas and I went to go film this episode with the guest and it just wouldn't turn on. So I'm in the process of ordering a new mic. But Obviously, we can't delay our episodes. So hopefully there is not any issues with my audio. And if there is, I'm so sorry. Please bear with me. I should have a new mic by the time our next episode comes out. Our next episode, I'm so excited. It's a it's a solo episode. It's been a topic that I've been researching. Lucky girl syndrome, that's the hint, but that's next week's episode. Okay, so let's talk a bit more about this week's guest. This week, I am joined by Susan Christofferson, who is the current Dean at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. She holds a bachelor's degree in economics from Queen's University, a master's degree in economics from UBC, the University of British Columbia, and also has her doctorate in finance from the Wharton School. She has been with the Rutman School of Management for 12 years, serving as professor of finance, the co-director of the TD Data and Analytics Lab, and has now been the dean for the last year and seven months. She also holds the William A. Downey BMO Chair in Finance role. Her research focuses on mutual funds and the role of financial institutions in capital markets. She has published in top finance journals and has been cited in the New York Times, Bloomberg News, and the Wall Street Journal. She has received numerous honors for her work, including research grants from the Social Science and Humanities Research Council and research awards at the Bank of Canada, Swiss Finance Institute, and Q Group, among others. It is my pleasure to introduce you to this week's guest, Susan. And last but not least, if you are enjoying the show, please consider sharing it with a colleague, a friend, posting on your social media or your LinkedIn page. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Spotify or 
Apple Podcasts. And be sure to click the bell and follow us so that you get notified every single time we post an episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Business Casual. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, who is the Dean at the Rotman School of Management, Dean Susan Christofferson. So, hi, Susan. How are you today? Hi. It's really great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me, Stacy. I'm equally as excited. I know if you're an avid listener of Business Casual, you know I speak so highly of the Rotman program. I'm in the undergraduate program here at Rotman if you're new to the podcast in my fourth year. So it's also special because I just started my final semester. So I'm graduating at the end of this semester, which is very crazy. That's great. In my life former or prior to becoming dean, I was actually the vice dean of the undergraduate program and really proud of the uh, growth and the innovation that we've done in that program and wonderful, you know, have some very strong alumni and students at that program. So you should be very proud to be part of it and something that we're very proud of at the school. I am very proud and it is something we talk a lot about at Business Casual. I'm always sharing my tips and my favorite courses. I, not to talk all about Robin the whole time, the undergrad program, but I just had my first class. It's RSM 490, International Strategy, and we have a guest lecture from South Africa and I am just in awe of his experience and the research he's done. So I think it's just a testament to the very cool experiences I've been given. And so I mean, I just want to start this episode by giving you a chance to kind of share how you would describe your career, your personality, and maybe some of your like passions and hobbies outside of work. Well, thanks so much. I really believe I have the, the best job in the world right now. You know, being able to sort of oversee an incredible school with students and, and really influencing, I think, the future leaders of tomorrow. I would sort of describe my path as one just following my passion. I loved academics. I loved working with students and learning. I just love the learning environment. What's my personality? <laughs> I guess I'm curious. I have a lot of energy. I like being creative, thinking, you know, around problems. I like working around problems with a, a group of people. And I guess I'm inherently optimistic. Of course, always sort of feeling a little bit self-conscious of things, but, you know, you know, and I have lots of different passions diversified across different things, you know, like puzzles, yoga, nature, walking, gardens, you know, soccer. I like, you know, walk, you know, swimming. So, you know, I guess just kind of an average person with diversified interests who, you know, has landed in this position. I love that. I recently kept, was asked like what my passions are outside of school. And I don't know if it's because I'm a student or if it's because I'm in that like weird early twenties age where I'm still figuring out what, who I am and who I want to be. But I was like, I really don't have that many hobbies outside of school and academics and, you know, applying for master's and all that good stuff. So I love hearing what everyone else's hobbies are and passions. So I love some of the, some of the things you've mentioned, because I really think that one of my goals for 2023 is figuring out what some of my hobbies are that I like to do when I was younger that I've kind of lost in the last few years, especially with COVID. I mean, I, I think where I've ended up as in my career has really been because I've followed things that have been passionate. And I think learning is obviously a big part of that and continuing to learn has been part of that. But you need you need balance in your life. And so you find those from other other ways and you can't force passions. So, you know, things that interest you and, and you follow, then just con continue to follow those and let them grow. 
And I think this is something in the idea of like following your passions is a topic that we hear a lot about. And I want to hear, you know, from your perspective, when you were still figuring out what you want to do with your career and kind of deciding to pursue a career in academics and more the research side, what inspired you? Was there a moment where you were doing something and you realized this is something I really like to do? I want to continue on this path. Or would you have any advice for students who are kind of at that point now where they're trying to understand what their passions are and where that passion could lead them? Yeah, well, I guess... I'll I'll sort of think about that moment where I decided to go back to do my PhD. I was, you know, probably in my mid-20s, I was working for the federal government. I had a, you know, good job, pretty happy life working in the government, working with the Ministry of Finance. I was working on some interesting questions. And I guess I was at that point where I was trying to decide, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And, you know, and I could sort of see a career working within the government, but I really missed, and I don't want this to sound in in the wrong way, but I really missed the ability to think deeply about problems because we were doing a lot of short-term memos on, you know, at that time we were sort of working, I was working the International Finance Group. But to really think deeply about and and to, to do research on something you know, where it wasn't something that I had to sort of put out like the next, you know, week or whatever. I I missed that. And I really missed, in some ways, the independence of thinking about things that I was interested in, as opposed to sort of those being dictated, you know, from above. So, and, you know, for me, I always loved school. I did well at school. And again, teaching and the learning environment. So it seemed, you know, that was, I think, what really inspired me from an academic. Now, obviously, different things are going to incentivize different people. And you have to know yourself well enough. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable. Like, I have to say, I had a pretty comfortable life in the government. And I could have easily just kind of settled there. So it was a little bit, you know, having to sort of say, okay, I'm going to have to get out of this comfort zone to do something which I thought that was going to lead me to something that I was going to be more happy with. And in the end, that worked out for me. That doesn't always happen for people, but sometimes you really have to be willing to take the chances. Definitely. And taking chances and pushing yourself outside our comfort zone is, I think, a way that you are exposed to new experiences and new opportunities open. And there's no nothing wrong with staying on the traditional path. And if you have a good job keeping that way, but I remind you of a past episode we've done with Ingrid where she was in corporate banking and ended up going back to do her master's in fashion and luxury brands and now has had a successful career in that. And that can be really nerve wracking. And taking a chance on yourself is not something that is really easy or comes naturally to some people. So did you have doubts when you planned to go back and enroll to go back to your PhD? And what were some like coping mechanisms or ways that you're able to overcome some of those doubts and really enjoy that, that experience? Yeah, no, there was definitely, like I can imagine, you know, there's a moment where you're sort of searching around looking for research, you sort of feel like you're in the doldrums, you know, like a bit like a sailboat without the winds yet. And, you know, at that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, I've just made a horrible decision. You know, I've spent two or three years of my life. But, you know, I think when you're investing in yourself, even discovering something that's not meant for you is still learning and it's still a worthwhile thing to have gone through. So, you know, I don't necessarily think of those as mistakes, even though ex ante, in my case, it was the right thing. I kept pushing forward or, you know, I believe it was, who knows what my alternatives (laughs) could have been, right? (laughs) But, you know, the, I think the big thing is sort of saying, well, you know, it, it, it wasn't a mistake coming here and sort of coming to terms with, I've made the, the move to do that, not sort of living in the past, but living in the present. And now 
being in education and academics, we've seen the landscape change immensely through COVID and through now going back to in-person. What have kind of been the biggest changes you've seen over the last, you know, thinking about the past, the last five years, and how have you adapted to that as a thought leader in this space? You know, I mean, I think that's the one thing I love about research is that it's always changing, right? You're always at that frontier of of knowledge and you're always evolving and changing. So that hasn't, you know, that's sort of remained the same, you know, as an academic. You know, the topics that people are interested in, you're seeing more of the AI, data analytics, machine learning topics that are coming into, you know, sort of interfacing with applications within um, finance. So my area of expertise is in finance and capital markets. I mean, I can't say that, you know, I, I was working in administration, so I wasn't sort of, I was sort of looking at a periphery of where I'm sort of seeing research topics. The other areas that we're seeing is really the area of sustainability and thinking about, you know, how organizations are, you know, the various different stakeholders in an organization and thinking about that and sustainability initiatives. And so you're sort of seeing an evolution, I think, in some of the topics I mean, the topics are sale, you know, finance, accounting, marketing, but, you know, how that's interfacing with the society, I think, has really evolved. And I guess the other thing that's really been transformational has been COVID. COVID has been transformational in terms of online learning, how we learn, think about, you know, engaging with our students. So that that certainly has also, I think, transformed the academic landscape. And, you know, just, you know, in November, you know, the introduction of GPT chat, I think is going to be very transformational. And and the AI applications within research, how do we, you know, engage with those AI, you know, for good, you know, there's obviously bad ways in which, you know, you sort of say, what's the input of the student or the researcher versus, you know, these AI technologies. And I think that there's a a role for both of them, but we are going to have to, you know, as academics, think about what's the interface between those things. I have been obsessed with chat GPT recently. Is it chat GPT? I think, yeah, chat GPT. I probably said that wrong. So. I have been so enthralled with this recently. I did not know what it was. I was on the trend very late. And actually, one of my professors said, because we had an online exam for one of my courses, and he was like, please do not use this interface because I have already put in all of our questions to see what this AI has come out with because I don't want to hear what an AI is saying. I want to hear what you have to say. And that never even crossed my mind. But now I have been thinking about that and just how that is going to change, not just in academics, but just in general, like, people who are copywriters and do that for websites or for marketing copy for advertising, like everything. Yeah. It's crazy. Communications, you know, how, you know, and I think it could be really useful in terms of, you know, establishing sort of drafts of, you know, things and then uh, that we can sort of build on. I mean, it's interesting, these things, they're pretty good, you know, from what I understand, again, I am by no means an expert, but they can hallucinate because, you know, what they're doing is they're pulling bits of information that you might have and um, including that. And if there tends to be a lot of information, which is misinformation, that gets included. And so you can get, you know, bad outcomes and, and actually end up, you know, just perpetuating misinformation. So I do think that uh, it's fascinating 
so you 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 will need human judgment overseeing sure. these things and you know but how much do you attribute to the human judgment and the oversight, you know, in, in writing an essay, you know, I think there's going to be an interplay, but certainly as academic institutions thinking about this is going to be certainly important and certainly a big transformation and things that I sort of see affecting even the next five years. And as Dean, obviously you want to ensure that, you know, your programs and your school are up to date on these trends and are, have this innovation. So how much of your day or I guess looking at it from like a year perspective, how much are you looking forward? How do you stay on top and are like keeping up to date with what's going on? Do you have any like resources or other podcasts you listen to or books you've read or anything you can recommend to listeners that kind of helps you stay on top of what's current, whether that be in your industry or just in the world in general? Well, I would always recommend, I tell this to all my students, make sure you're reading the paper on a regular <laughs> basis, right? Or, you know, whatever news feeds that you have, because, you know, that is going to have, you know, help you and, and make sure that those are reliable news feeds. I mean, now you sort of run into this problem where sometimes not all, all the things that you can read out there are are reliable. The, I mean, the other thing that I really benefit from is we're part of an incredible institution here at the University of Toronto. And, you know, so if it's not come across my desk, it's probably come across somebody else's desk. And so, you know, that's where as a leader, it's really important to make sure that there's those open lines of communication. So people are letting you know, hey, we should be, you know, paying attention to this. And, you know, certainly in the case of this, these new innovations, you know, our U of T is certainly on top of us and thinking about and my vice deans, you know, looking at are, are looking closely at this and, and evaluating in our digital group here at, at Rotman. So I have people at house that can sort of help keep me on track or make sure that we are staying at the forefront of things. For sure. That, that totally makes sense. And we are lucky at the University of Toronto to have so many resources and people and just data, our fingertips. I think as students, sometimes we forget how much is out there that we're able to take advantage of. So I think it's also about staying on top and really actively seeking. And I think going back to what you were saying at the beginning, which inspired you to pursue a career in academics, is really that drive to always be learning and appetite for learning and making sure it's always, I think in today's day and age, you should always be kind of looking for and keeping up with, with what's happening. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break to jump into an ad real quick and talk about this week's sponsor. If you are a loyal business casual fan, you know that I personally love this sponsor, Athletic Greens. This partner has a product that I use literally every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I didn't feel like I was getting everything I needed in terms of vitamins, nutrients, and minerals through my diet. And I had heard about Athletic Greens on a lot of the podcasts I was listening to, and I really wanted to see what the hype was about. Now, let me tell you, I've been taking it for probably almost six months now, and I love it. It helps with energy. It's really helped with my focus and also really helped with my skin. I really noticed that my skin has gotten a lot better since taking Athletic Greens. So what is it exactly? It's one delicious scoop of AG1. You put it in your water and with that, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. So literally, I have my Athletic Greens water bottle, fill it halfway with ice, halfway with water, put one scoop in, shake it up, and I drink that on the way to school. And it's so easy to add to your every single day life and it just helps you. So it's literally a micro habit that has big benefits, and it's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. 
It's the only thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with consistent product iterations and third-party testing. It also costs you less than $3 a day, so you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. I also think that this is a great holiday gift to give anyone who might be very much into health and wellness or someone who's always on the go because it's so easy to add to their everyday life. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. With just one scoop and a cup of water every day, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash businesscasual. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash businesscasual to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And so talking about you as dean, you are the first female dean here at Rotman based off my research. What has that meant to you and how has the role been so far? Ah, wow, that's a big question. (laughs) You know, first of all, I would say it's an honor. It's a real honor to be the first woman in this role. You know, honestly, I haven't placed, you know, so much emphasis on it. And, you know, because I want to focus on the fact that, you know, I'm here because of my capabilities. I've worked my way through. I had a successful academic career, you know, had a significant role as vice dean when I was there. So I administratively had, you know, so so that I'm here because of my capabilities and not because of my, my gender. But, you know, I really hope that it does inspire other women to think on about leadership roles. So I do think that it's important that we have representation in, you know, you know, in all areas of the school. And so to the extent that I am the first woman, that's, you know, I think that's fantastic. What has my experiences been? Well, you know, obviously managing through COVID has been created its own challenges, but I don't think that has anything specific to, you know, being one or the other. But I, I do think that being a woman, I think having diversity within our leadership group is important because it's one of the things I learned through COVID is just how important it is to communicate and how important it is to have input from different people and listening to people. And I think, you know, just being able to do that and, you know, to have a diversified group has been very helpful. And I think having men and women around the table is certainly something that sort of helped promote a different points of view, different ways in which you approach problems, different ways in which you communicate and all of the, those things I think were incredibly important as you're sort of managing through COVID, how you write things, how people might perceive them. And I, I do think that that's been beneficial. I completely agree with you know what you said also about being the first woman. It's not only just about that, but it's about showing you know future women and hopefully inspiring those who might be looking up at our leadership positions, not only within you know academics, but just in general. When we see ourselves there, it kind of makes it a bit easier to believe that we can one day get there. So so honored to have you on Business Casual today, and so excited for, for all your expertise. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's a it's a pleasure, and you know you do feel I, I would say a little bit of extra burden in that I, I I sort of feel I'm very committed to this institution, making this a fantastic place, and really trying to make positive change within the school because I you know I want to be successful, and I want to be successful not just for myself, but 
you know, because I want to set a good example of what is possible. And, you know, I think you can have good leaders in men and women. So that's, you know, and my goal is to sort of, as a first woman, I sort of feel a little bit more burdened to show that as well. And so for many of our listeners maybe considering pursuing an MBA on the future, do you have any advice for understanding if that is the right next step for someone's career or maybe based off your experience as dean, when people in their career typically start to consider an MBA? Because I know a lot of people think it's sometimes right after an undergrad, but a lot of the times, you know, you do have work experience before applying for your MBA and taking that next step. Yeah, well, for sure, our MBA, it requires a work experience. And there's a reason for that. You know, as an undergraduate, when you finish, you should go out, explore the world, get some business experience. The MBA is going to be right for you. If you're, you know, sort of thinking about a leadership position, you know, wanting to sort of go up and gain some of those skills. And I do think as you go through your career, you're going to have experiences that you can then better reflect on and being able to reflect on those experiences. A a lot of times when you're in a leadership role, it's about you have to have a difficult conversation with someone or there's a complex issue, which is not that straightforward. And you need to have that lived experience to be able to sort of see the benefits of where some of those, you know, soft skills that we might be, you know, thinking of as, as soft skills. They're not really, they're actually very hard skills, but why they are so critical to being an effective leader, being thoughtful, you know, being intentional, purposeful, or thinking about what you say and how important that is and how, you know, people around you creating a safety and and the ability for people to communicate openly with you can be, you know, troublesome. But the, and these are all important leadership skills, but it's very tough to sort of appreciate how important they are when you're just coming out of an undergraduate and you haven't sort of been working in a workforce. So I don't think the MBA is the right thing, you know, right after an undergrad, because you just haven't had the maturity or experience, you know, of, of experiencing different opportunities or different challenges within the workplace to sort of appreciate and be able to reflect on them in, in, in an MBA setting. But I do think, you know, for students that have you know, they, they've gone out, done their undergrad, they go into various different organizations. Many people come to us for their MBA looking for a pivot. They may have, you know, started off, you know, working in, say, marketing and decide they really want to move more into finance or they want to move up and do some leadership training. So, these are all things that I think upon reflection after a couple of years in the workforce, and that's where an MBA can be really helpful, either in doing that or, or doing a deeper dive in areas where you sort of say, I really want to, you know, take that next step and, you know, move into, you know, investment banking or private equity, or maybe you want to go into innovation, entrepreneurship. And I think after those few years of working, you have a better idea of, what, you know, those things that you may want to do a deeper dive in. And I think a big misconception is that you need to have studied business in your undergrad in order to get an MBA in the future. I think that's a misconception that's out there, but that is not the case. We can debunk that. 
You don't yeah. have to be in business to get an MBA Let's in the future. Debunk that myth. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And you know, I, I would say now some of our are very successful. I mean, we have successful people that come from business and do their MBA. We have successful people that come from humanities do their MBA, and we have successful people that come from kind of more of the STEM fields and do their MBA. You know, and especially now, you know, where you're sort of seeing a lot of this analytics training, where many of the engineers say have some of the you know, math backgrounds and technical training, you know, when they come to do an MBA, they're learning some of those leadership skills, which are critical for them in being able to sort of make their way up in, in the organization. You know, technical skills, I think, are really important, you know, when you're starting out. And, you know, obviously they're increasingly, you know, becoming more technical. And so you need more of the stats or the math backgrounds to do them. But if you're really going to move up with an organization, you have to learn, you know, about how do you work with people? How do you get people to listen to you? How do you negotiate to make sure that your ideas are heard? And, you know, that's where sort of, you know, an MBA can be helpful to you in terms of helping to sort of understand how do you navigate working within an organization? If you had to pick three words to describe the Rotman MBA, we'll say like the Rotman School of Management, because I know there's a lot of different programs even within the Rotman name. So if you had to choose three words to describe the Rotman School of Management, mm. what three words would you pick? Oof. So management versus, well, excellence. That, that, I mean, that's, you know, and, and maybe, you know, inclusive excellence would be sort of a, a key point because we have, you know, we focus so much on excellence in our students and in our teaching and in our research, right? And that quality is just sort of bar, you know, a real focus for us. I think in our programs, you know, I want to say reward and an opportunity for growth. You know, we spend a lot of time on the individuals through our self-development lab where they have an opportunity to get, you know, this individualized feedback on qualities that they have. So I think that that can be very rewarding for them in terms of their own personal growth. And I guess this is probably more specific to our students. And I don't know that it's one word, but I would sort of say, you know, that the, the idea of, of we are a catalyst and, and a catalyst for broadening people's perspectives and horizons. So, you know, the idea, you know, that people can transform here, they can, that new ideas are created here, but it's also that people's trajectories, you know, shift here. So we're, we're at a place where, you know, things happened and, and it's a catalyst here. And here's where it changes. That's, you know, our, our tagline, you know, that this is truly a place where there's new ideas, where people come, where they were sort of that voice of reason and thought leadership. Well, those words are all very inspiring, and I hope that anyone listening who maybe is at the point of their career where they're interested or kind of starting to think about if an MBA is right for them, I hope this was helpful to learn a little bit more about why an MBA might be valuable and when it might be right to to start enrolling or thinking about that. So thank you so much. And so our last question that we end every episode with is, what is one piece of advice you wish you knew when you started your career or that you've been given throughout that's really stuck. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I apologize. There's probably a lot more than three words there. <laughs> no, that's okay. Let's see. Piece of advice. I guess the, the, the crux of it would be never stop investing in yourself and never stop learning. And you know, that your, your learning shouldn't stop when you, when you graduate, that the world is evolving around you and you should continue. When I left government to go and do my PhD. I can remember going around and saying my farewells 
to everyone, to various co-workers. And one co-worker said to me, she said, just whatever you do, go and finish your degree. You know, because a lot of people end up, you know, they start and then they don't finish. And and it was important because she said, you know, once you have your degree, no one can take it away from you. That's something that you've invested in. And, you know, as years go by, people aren't going to remember what grades you get or what grades, you know, they don't. But, you know, just remembering that that constant, you know, investment in yourself is so, so important and that the learning doesn't stop, that it continues and continue to invest in that. I think that's like a perfect way to summarize the theme of our episode and kind of like what our conversation surrounded with. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we hope everyone enjoyed today's episode. Mm-hmm.